Bird Note presents. Is that a pelican up there? Yes. That's Very good. The first, that's my first pelican that's, I've ever seen in person. Awesome. These are brown pelicans. This is uh, Bring Birds Back. Here. I'm Tanaja Hamilton. And for our season finale, we're going to the beach. I got to go to Tybee Island, a beautiful barrier island off Savannah on Georgia's coast with sandy beaches near a big salt marsh full of birds. Parts of the island are packed with vacation homes and restaurants, and right beside them are vital ecosystems like sand dunes and tidal creeks, supporting all kinds of wildlife. Now, I wasn't just there for fun in the sun. I was there to learn about the problems plastics pose to our shorebirds and marine life. And to do that, I spoke with two people. First, I met up with Tim Arnold. He's the founder of Tybee Clean Beach Volunteers. And we went for a walk along the beach where I spotted his favorite bird, the brown pelican. They're awkward and prehistoric and elegant and all wrapped up in the one just amazing machine. When you're sitting on the beach, you know, reading a book or just relaxing and looking out at the coastline, all of a sudden you'll see this missile just dive from the air and they hover over their prey 20, 30 feet, sometimes higher. And the way they pull their body together and just dive in and keep their considerable beak close to them until they come back out again and all the water flushes out. Mm. And so whatever they got in there is in their beak and they just lift their head and boom, there it is. They'll swallow whatever it is whole. When I see them dive like that, I do worry that they're coming up with some microplastic. And that brings me to the other person I spoke to about this issue. Kelly Martin, Texas Coastal Outreach Coordinator for American Bird Conservancy. You'll be hearing from her throughout today's episode as well. And she broke down the two main threats to wildlife from plastics. First, there's entanglement. Which is when a bird or some other animal gets entangled in a piece of trash. Here in Texas, that's often discarded fishing line that a bird gets its legs or wings wrapped up in or a ribbon that gets tied to a balloon. The bird might not be able to walk or fly, which sort of prevents it from hunting or escaping a predator, doing the things that it needs to do on a daily basis just to survive. And it can also cause injuries. So we see birds that have lost limbs because the fishing line or whatever else that was tangled around its leg got so tight that it caused a cut or an infection and they lost a limb because of it. So that obviously then has long-term impacts on the survival of that bird. And then the other category is ingestion. So that's when a bird or some other animal ingests plastic. It can potentially damage the internal organs of that animal or Birds can sometimes eat so much plastic that it fills their stomach and they think they're full and so they don't eat and then they can potentially starve as a result of that. Ingestion is exactly what Tim worries is happening to the pelicans we saw on the beach. That they're gulping down water filled with little bits of plastic that can cause serious harm. It's sad to think about, but that only makes Tim redouble his efforts to solve our plastic problem. That stubbornness is how he got involved with fighting plastics and marine debris in the first place. Tim and his wife moved to Tybee about 10 years ago, and each night they would go for an evening walk along the beach. But by the time they got home... Our arms would be full of trash, you know, because I can't walk by a can or a bag and not pick it up. My wife's the same way, although she swears a lot when she does it. (laughs) I don't. My kind of gal. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) 
And then, you know, after a while, that got really frustrating. So we started to walk with buckets and grabbers. And then we bumped into other people that were doing the same thing. We're like, what are you doing? It's like picking up trash. And, and we just decided, well, let's get a group of people together on Sunday night and do it together. This grew into Tybee Clean Beach Volunteers, which Tim organizes. Over the years, thousands of volunteers have taken the time to clean up the shores of Tybee on these beach sweeps, which happen year-round. I'm surprised how popular this has become, but then again, when I think about it, people that come to the beach care about it. They do. Almost everybody that comes here, you know, gets it and doesn't like to see the litter. They'll talk about that. So if you empower them to make it really easy to do something about it, guess what? They want to do something about it. So you have a beach cleanup tomorrow, right? And I'm curious, how much litter, how much plastic are you expecting to get from that cleanup? A remarkable amount. We'll fill those big 18-gallon Rubbermaid containers, so we'll just drag six or seven of those out and fill them all up with trash. And so when Tim and I took to the beach, it's no surprise that almost right away... Look there, there's a classic example. Somebody has a drink just drops it. Ugh. Somebody else will pick it up. Yeah. They'll innocently leave their bottle and then they forget. A lot of it is accidental littering where they're just, you know, they bring too much to the beach. It's windy. Stuff gets away from them. We see styrofoam cups, colorful plastic straws, discarded plastic water bottles. And Tin tells me about the biggest culprits of litter here on Tybee. The things we find the most of are kind of inexcusable. Cigarette butts, straws, you know, you should at least keep track of your straws, not that hard. Plastic bottle caps, styrofoam and snack wrappers kind of round out the top five. We'd eliminate those, we'd eliminate 90% of the beach trash. Wow. That ranking varies from place to place. For Kelly in the Houston region, fishing line and plastic water bottles are some of the biggest issues, but they all present real problems. And I wanted Kelly to help me understand how much trouble could come from one careless act. So paint a picture for me. I'm at the beach. I'm drinking from a plastic straw. I mean really well, but I leave the straw at the beach. I forget. Things are a little hectic. Can you tell me how long it would take for that environmental degradation of that straw? Basically, it's not going to break down in any time scale that has any meaning for humans whatsoever. You know, it's hundreds of years at best. Some scientists estimate that like every piece of plastic that's ever been made is still on this planet in one form or another, unless it's been burned. Um, but that's also really bad for the environment too. So that's not a good, <laughs> a good alternative. Um, so yeah, it, it's really just not something that we can really comprehend. That plastic is going to be here well after we're gone. <laughs> that is kind of beyond the scope of comprehension. The idea that every piece of plastic potentially that's ever been made is still here. Over 8 million metric tons of plastic end up in the ocean every year. And while it might break down into microplastics, that isn't the end of the problem. According to a 2015 analysis, 99% of all seabird species will have ingested plastic by 2050. Thinking about that incomprehensible time scale on my beach walk with Tim, I was excited to find any plastic I could recycle to spare the same fate. But that wasn't as clear as I thought. And I get to put my little Pringles top (laughs) in the... Not recyclable, unfortunately. Oh, it's not. 
it's a combination that can't be recycled. Really? Yeah. Wait, there's so many complexities here because I would have just tossed that in a recycle bin. Right. Wish cycling, they call it. All plastic ever created, only 9% has been recycled. Wow. And that's probably being aggressive number-wise because the explosion of single-use plastic has meant that that rate has dropped considerably. So yeah. recycling clearly is not the answer. As we walked along the beach, I've got to admit, I was kind of shocked at how bad the problem is. It felt like an unrelenting deluge of trash that there was just not a great solution for. And talking to Tim about that feeling, he says that these cleanups are a kind of Sisyphean task. Goal for us is to try to play goalie here and keep it out of the water the best we can. And more importantly, get people out, picking it up on their own. There's nothing like filling your bucket up with straws and bits of plastic to make you really understand the nature and extent of the problem. So that's the main reason we do the beach cleanups. It really evangelizes just about everybody that does it. Kelly Martin organizes a bunch of cleanups as part of her work as well, largely with an educational goal. She also knows that there's a limit to what a cleanup can accomplish. Beach cleanups are not going to solve this issue. You know, if your bathtub's overflowing, you don't run and get a mop before you turn the faucet off. You turn the faucet off first and then you go get the mop in the bucket. Cleanups are kind of like the mop in the bucket. They're definitely important to get the trash that's already out there out of the environment, but we do need to work on prevention first and foremost. After the break, we'll talk about that prevention work, how we can use less plastic, and how to take the burden of responsibility off of consumers. That's coming up right after this. This is Bring Birds Back. I'm Tanaja Hamilton. Seeing the plastic problem at the beach firsthand made it really clear that while individual actions like picking up beach trash or recycling or using less plastics can help, this is a massive problem that needs solutions at a higher level. And Kelly Martin from American Bird Conservancy told me about a bill in Congress that aims to do just that the Break Free from Plastic Pollution Act. One of the biggest things in that act is what's called Extended Producer Responsibility, or EPR. Mm -hmm. And essentially what that means is it's just taking the responsibility for the disposal and management of plastic waste and putting it back on the companies. So right now, if you think about it, we as consumers actually pay for that waste. The company produces a plastic bottle, we buy it, We put it in our recycling bin or our garbage bin, and then the city, our local municipality, comes and takes it away. But we pay for that service with our tax dollars or with our utilities. And so the companies producing all this waste get off scot-free. They don't have to take into account the disposal of all of this single-use plastics when they're manufacturing these things. And so essentially, it would just take that cost and put it on the producer's. It also has some incentives for recycling. I think it would outlaw certain single-use plastics entirely. It's really these large-scale changes that we need. You know, we focus a lot on teaching people about the issue and talking about things that they can do in their daily life to make a difference, like using a reusable water bottle or saying no to straws or whatever it is. But at the end of the day, that's not going to be the the thing that stops plastic from entering our oceans. We really need these big large changes on the level of companies making these changes or governments putting regulations and policies in place to set a new standard. Of course, individuals have a role to play in making that happen. You know, we can contact our 
representatives. And, you know, as consumers, we can drive the market a little bit. Um, you do see some companies starting to think about new ways of designing closed loop systems and things like that. But I think ultimately these changes are going to have to come from large scale policy changes. So that's why the break free from Plastic Pollution Act is really exciting and, and hopefully it gets passed in Congress sometime soon. Legislation like this would be a huge win for sustainability and would give consumers more and better choices to help the environment. Tim Arnold of Tybee Clean Beach Volunteers, he feels that's an essential part of any solution big enough for the problem at hand. It's hard to avoid it, really. If you give people a choice, a lot of people will take that choice. You know, I don't want to be part of the problem, I want to be part of the solution, but yeah. a lot of times you don't have a choice. Here's your styrofoam cup. You want that drink? Here it is. Exactly. It comes with a straw. So getting corporations to step up via legislation is what we really need to solve this for the long term. But in the meantime, we can reduce our reliance on single-use plastics through alternatives like reusable water bottles or metal straws. We all have a role to play in the sustainability movement, though not everyone's contribution will look the same. We don't want to be shaming people who Mm. don't have another option. Like you can't go to Flint, Michigan and tell them not to use plastic water bottles, you know, and there's people Mm. with certain disabilities that need plastic straws. Beyond our own use of plastics is what's happening in our communities. While marine debris is a global problem, a great way to pitch in is with clever local solutions. Like on Tybee, Tim noticed one of the big sources of trash. One of the most prevalent things we have uh, that creates a lot of the microplastic is beach toys, just cheap plastic that people leave behind. I think people think, well, I can't take this back with me. Maybe somebody will use it. But the reality is nobody walking the beach is going to take an abandoned beach toy because they don't know it's abandoned. They think it's somebody's toy, and it just sits there. And it just becomes microplastic in a New York minute, and it just degrades. You know, the effect of the sun in a week, it goes from firm plastic to brittle plastic in a week Mm. just from sun degradation. And if it gets in the water, you know, it just accelerates the breakdown. Realizing this, Tim and others were able to do a few things to address the issue. First, Tybee Clean Beach volunteers look for and collect abandoned beach toys before they can degrade. Then, they take them, they clean them, and donate them to a local cottage rental place that lets their visitors use them for free, with the promise of bringing them back. And they've even worked with some of the stores along the beach that sell toys to reduce their impact. The campground sells beach toys, but they have a big box for reusables. And so when somebody wants to buy a beach toy, the first thing they say is, you know, we have some free ones right over here you can take. And people will put it back on the shelf and not buy it. That was a pretty big event for them to do. Because when I first approached them with the idea, they're like, you know, we sell beach toys. I'm like, (laughs) I know. It might lose (laughs) a little bit of money. Yeah. Uh, You know what? They are so into it. Knowing there's a place to bring the toys makes people want to return them. People feel good about it. Like Tim said earlier, people want to help and be a part of the solution. They just need to have good choices available. To deal with the big fishing line problems that Kelly sees, she told me about putting up little receptacles on boardwalks and near fishing hotspots to give fishermen an easy, convenient, an environmentally friendly option. And when it's there, people take that option. These are solutions we can all be a part of. All it takes is noticing the problem and speaking up. You do not have to be an expert in anything to tell your local government official or favorite restaurant what you think about the plastic problem. 
Okay. Now let's say you go to the beach and you want to do a little better. First, try to bring as much reusable stuff as you can. You won't want to forget those at the beach. If you're buying new beach towels and toys, take the plastic wrap off of them at home. And Kelly gave some advice on what to do with the trash that we do inevitably create there. Taking your trash home with you is a huge one. You know, you mean well and you throw your trash in the trash can that's at the beach, but sometimes those trash cans don't get picked up before the high tide comes in and they get knocked over. Or sometimes even a bird will fly into the trash can and the trash goes everywhere. Or, you know, it gets so filled and and overflows that trash is falling out. With backpacking, there's like a pack it in, pack it out mentality. I kind of feel like we should have that mentality everywhere we go. You know, if you go to the park, if you go to the beach, just think about the trash that you're producing and, and consider taking it home to dispose of it instead. And the final big thing to think about is sharing these ideas with others and doing so in a thoughtful and inviting way. We try to tell our volunteers it's not a contact sport. You know, the worst thing you can do is turn somebody off with your preachy attitude. The best thing you can do is just be a quiet example setter. You see people when I'm with a bucket and coming towards them, they're they're looking at their own area and starting to pick up their own trash because they don't want to be the jerk that's leaving it there. (laughs) Wrapping up our beach cleanup, I couldn't help but feel worried for the sea turtles and the migratory shorebirds that nest here on Tybee. I couldn't begin to keep track of all the trash we saw. And I've been at this, what, for like an hour? Tim's been doing this for a decade. And I want to know what keeps him going? What gives him hope? Almost everybody that finishes a beach cleanup is changed by what they see and what they experience. We get a lot of Girl Scout troops that come out and they do beach cleanup for their take action coastal badge. And, you know, they're, they're really angry little Girl Scouts when they come off there and see all that Good. crap. Yeah, exactly. Good. So the kids are really what gives me the most hope. I, you know, I haven't met a kid that came off the beach and was unimpressed. Yeah. They're, they're little advocates when they come off the beach and they're the ones pestering mom and dad. First of all, I love the imagery of angry Girl Scouts, particularly. <laughs> I was a Girl Scout in uh, Brooklyn, New York, a little different, a little oh, different from awesome. the coast. But I love that. And I love that harnessing that kind of that passion and that curiosity to do something good. Thank you so much, Tim. Well, thank you. Like I said, I'm, I'm thrilled you are drawing attention to the plight of our bird friends. Big thanks to Kelly Martin, the Texas Coastal Outreach Coordinator at American Bird Conservancy, for all of her insight on the issue as well. You can find links to great resources about the Break Free from Plastic Pollution Act, some more ways to use less plastic, info about recycling, and lots more on our website, birdnote.org. And with that, cue the bells, horns, and whistles. We've officially come to the end of season one of Bring Birds Back. I want to give a huge thank you to all of you for listening. It means a lot. Thinking about my journey so far, from bird girl in training to host of Bring Birds Back, where I'm just in the thick of learning all about our avian friends, it's wild how much I've grown. A couple of the biggest things that stood out for me, the concept of scope in time. I really remember Adam C. Smith talking about the three billion birds number in our first episode and it being almost incomprehensible. 
And I felt similarly listening to Kelly speak about environmental degradation of plastic. I walked into that conversation thinking, sure, plastic may not break down in my lifetime, but the notion of every piece of plastic that has ever been plastic still being around, just plasticking somewhere else, is mind-boggling. Another thing? Interconnectedness. When I chatted with Sheridan Alford in our second episode about Black Birders Week, she really underscored just how vital our individual and collective experiences in nature are to preserving and protecting it. And for me, it was a framework for belonging. Similarly, in our episode about native plants, Desiree Narango spoke about seeing all of nature as part of a web rather than a chain. And as I've been learning about how my actions, your actions, and frankly, people's inaction contribute to the loss of our bird friends and the changing climate we see today, I feel way more a part of something bigger than I ever did before. This experience really is for everyone. And I can't wait to expand our flock and share this with even more people next season. Stick around, tell your friends, and together... We'll bring birds back. Bring Birds Back is produced by Mark Bramhill and me, Tanaja Hamilton. We could not have done it without our incredible team. Our wonderful editor, Olawakemi Aladesui of Rough Cut Collective, our content director and fearless leader, Allison Wilson, our lead science advisor, Trina Bayard, and all of the amazing folks who helped out in so many ways behind the scenes this season. Connor Guerin, Sam Johnson, Jason McHugh, Shelly Ellison, Katie Meyer, Vicki Merrick, and Rekha Murphy. Music is by Cosmo Sheldrake and Blue Dot Sessions. And one final heartfelt thank you to the sponsor of this inaugural season of Bring Birds Back, the Cornell Lab of Ornithology. Check out all they have to offer, like Bird Academy online courses and the Merlin ID app. They just added a super cool sound ID tool so you can identify the birds you're hearing. Check it out at allaboutbirds.org. Thanks for listening, everyone. Until next time. <laughs>